Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. More of that stuff, because all my socks have holes in them. Anyone else? Yeah. So you get that. It's not even the beautiful little gifts that like Kayla and Jackson make in children's church and, and in, um, in school and they bring these like little gifts and all that. Like, and you open up the present and say, wow, that is interesting. <laughs> Thank you. What is it? I don't know what that is. Hey, Dad, of course it is. <laughs> but this is one day a week where I actually have the opportunity and a great honor to actually speak into a group of image bearers who rarely get helpful input and encouragement, and that is the men in our life. And I'm just going to say this right off the bat, as a guy, as a fellow, as an Australian, born and bred in Western Australia, I just need to let you know right off the bat, it is not easy being a man. Any guys going to actually know? Okay, it's not easy being a man. Now, that's not to take away the complexities and struggles of what it is to be a woman. Because there are complexities and there are struggles. I get that. I've been a pastor over 20 years. I get that. I don't necessarily understand it because I've never spent one day being a woman. I'm only a man. But I just need to let you know because your husband, your boyfriend, your your son will never actually articulate these words. So let me tell you on their behalf, it's hard work being a man. It is hard being a man. And um, it's not easy being a man. So we're going to actually go through something which is quite pertinent. We're going to talk about something which I experience all the time and which your man will experience, no doubt. And it's going to be really important for us to identify and discern as a community of faith when our men are going through this. The title of today's message is called Real Men Have a Limp. Real Men have a limp. And you're going to see, not just through scripture, but if you have an honest conversation with your husband or any man in your life who's actually gone through this process, or even if you take the time to actually watch even more closely, you're going to see that your man actually does have a limp. Um, And it's actually going to bring a lot of um, encouragement and a lot of wisdom in your perspective of how we live together. We're going to be in Genesis 32 a bit later on, but I want to start with 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. It's a dialogue between David and his son Solomon, which has always intrigued me, and it really frustrated me years and years and years ago, um, because it's, it, it kind of resonates, but then it almost is like, yeah, and what? So 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, I'm reading from the NIV today, says this, When the time drew near for David to die... He gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man. Isn't that an interesting thing for a father to actually say to a son? Isn't that an interesting thing for one king to actually charge the next king? Be strong, act like a man. And you can't, I read that and say, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds good. But how exactly do you do that? What is the process of becoming a man? How in the world does a boy become a man? How do you actually become a man? Because it seems like that seems like a lot of wisdom. It seems like really compact. And I can really understand that. Be strong. Act like a man. How exactly do I become a man? And the reality is, this is not really not going to surprise us if we think about it. Because every single man knows the process. Every single man knows it. It's a process that intrigues little boys. It's actually one of Jackson's most favorite activities with me. Boys become men when they wrestle. In fact, I got my Father's Day card here. (laughs) I did not set it up. 
I can't even open it. Here's what Jackson wrote to me. To Daddy, thank you for being my best dad. I don't know how many dads he thinks he has. <laughs> but you know what? I'm his best one, so I'm okay with that. To Daddy, thank you for being my best dad. I love wrestling with you. Wrestling's important. Did you know that? A man needs to discover his strength. Did you know that? Wrestling is really, really important. I understand Jackson, even at a young age, and, and it's really dangerous with Jackson because if you've ever seen him, he's not like me, which is kind of chubby. He's like, he is lean and he is bony and he is fast. So what he does, generally, he'll jump onto our bed and he wants to wrestle. And before I kind of even do anything, he sprints towards me and his knees are out. And let me tell you, we are not going to have any more kids because Jackson has made sure of that. <laughs> Boys become men when they wrestle. This is really important for the women in our lives to understand and also to recognize. Because you have not spent one day being a man, but if you are married to someone, if you are married to a man, it's important for you to understand and recognize that he is supposed to wrestle. He is supposed to. He is built to wrestle. And there are things that come out of a man when he wrestles. And that means that there's actually a responsibility on the wives in our life. There's a responsibility also on the mothers in our life that when it comes to a point where you can actually discern that your husband or your son is wrestling and they're in that arena where there actually isn't a wrestle, you've got a couple of choices that you can make, all right? You can either leave the arena when he starts that wrestle. You can leave. A lot of women do, right? It's too hard. What's happened to you? It's like almost overnight. Oh my goodness, you've changed. What's going on? A lot of women just leave. You can leave. You can sit on the sidelines with your critique as they struggle. Or you can get close enough without smothering. I'm talking pretty, I'm doing like a, a man's message today, okay? All right? So let me be blunt. Or you can get close enough without smothering and help them win. Because at this stage, you know something about your husband and you know something about men. If men can't win, men don't play. Is that not true? How do you champion men in a community of faith? We help them win. That's, what, that's how we do it. My favorite quote is from Billy Graham. When a man of courage steps up to the plate, the backbone of others stiffens. I first heard that when I was like 18, and I said, God, I want to be that kind of guy. I'm not that kind of guy now when I was 18, but I said, God, I want to be that kind of guy. When I step up to the plate, I know I've got frailties. I know I've got things in my life which are not, like, not, not right. I'm not perfect. But when I step up to the plate, I want to be able, in the spirit, I want to hear a I want to hear backbones stiffen. And I want to come alongside men. I want to help you win. Because if men can't win, men can't play. And I've said this many, many years. The greatest gift I could possibly give a wife is a man who's on fire for Jesus Christ. I do not understand. I do not recognize how it is that we have men who follow Jesus and there's this indifference and there's this apathy. I want to sing. I want to rejoice. I want to, I want to take on some giants. I want to. There's this weird, seemingly out-of-place story in the book of Genesis that gives a physical representation to the maturity, the process of maturity that will actually come and knock on the door of a man who follows Jesus Christ. 
It's found in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 to 31. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're probably familiar with it. But I'm going to read it and then we're going to actually bring some stuff out of it. From verse 22. That night Jacob got out and took his two wives. Now understand, fellas, this is Old Testament. You can't have two wives. You can barely handle one. Is that not right? (laughs) That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was rent as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let go of me, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Boys become men when they wrestle. Let me correct that. Boys become men when they wrestle with God. And this is precisely why you can have a 60-year-old, a 70-year-old, an 80-year-old who walk on this earth and you are still immature and you're still walking as a man because there is an engagement, there is an encounter which is required which actually brings about a real process of maturity. And any man who's actually wrestled with God knows that this is true. One of my most favorite quotes, um, which I remind myself of over and over and over again, I read it so often and I preach it very often, it's actually, we don't even know who it's written for, but, but written by, but this is what it says. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man, so all the world should praise, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses with every purpose, fuses him. By every art induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Boys become men when they wrestle with God. I know the men in my life who I look up to. And I'm very selective about the men I actually look up to. You have to be very selective with the men you look up to because you will model the men that you see, you know. And I remember even being in one of these great churches and I would look at the men who were supposed to be leaders of my life and say, oh, I can't. I'm not, I can't model my life after. You have to be very selective with the men. That you, you have to have great discernment. So don't just, like, don't just like sort of say, okay, I'll have him as a mentor. I'll model him just because even, don't even look at me and say, oh, Dave's a senior pastor. No, check out my life. Check out, investigate my life, examine my life. But the men in my life who I look up to, the men of my life who I say, you know what, there's something about that guy. They all have a limp. They all have a limp. It may not be physical, but there is something about them that is vulnerable. There is something about them that is tender. God has touched something in order to bring the best out of that man's worst. 
And I can discern pretty fast to actually see you've done some business with God because you may have a great stance, you might be really strong physically, but if I look close enough into your life, I can see that right now there's vulnerability, there is tenderness, you're walking with a limp. And that is a great sign because I know that real men have a limp. If you would actually watch, watch closely, and I understand I've only been here for eight months or so, but if you watch closely in my life, you will actually recognize and you will be able to discern that I definitely have a limp. There have been many, many encounters that I've had with the Lord. This is why I know that this is something that, fellas, we just need to engage in. This is actually good for us. There are things in my life where I look at and God has brought the best out of the worst. And you may not necessarily be able to look at it and recognize it, but you can go and ask my wife the encounters I've had with God. She has a far better husband now. Our kids have a far better father. New Spring has a far better pastor now. And guess what? You guys have a great pastor too, but you didn't have to deal with the immaturity which I had at the beginning. You know, so you guys are lucky. But there's a real limp if you watch closely enough. I know what it means to wrestle with God. I know what it means to wrestle with God. That's why I am a high advocate for wrestling with the Lord. This is an intriguing story. It's a weird story, isn't it? It's a story that encourages me because it lets me know that one encounter with God can radically change and transform the character of a man. Imagine that. One season, one moment of God coming, and you know what? You might look at your man and say, he used to be this. He goes into an encounter and a wrestle with God, and he'll come out completely different the other end. I love that about God, that he will actually come and he will do that. And this transformation is actually articulated in the name change. The name changes from Jacob to Israel. This man's best is brought out of this man's worst. Israel is brought out of Jacob. Verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he said. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. That's pretty significant. Pretty significant. This actual encounter begins with Jacob being very much afraid. He's been living in fear because he knows he's about to encounter his older brother, whose name is Esau. He was returning to Canaan in obedience to God, but he knew that that meant that he is about to, he had to face his brother. The problem is he deceived his brother 20 years earlier. And he didn't know exactly how Esau was going to respond to this. So he sent some people out and people came, some of his people came back and said, yeah, Esau's expecting you. He's sending 400 of his men. Can you imagine what Jacob's thinking right now? Saying, I've already done my brother out. Actually, I've done my brother out twice, 20 years ago. I wonder if, I wonder if like, the water's settled a little bit. I'll send my, some of my men out and just let Esau know. Just a, just a, just a little soft, like soft kind of thing. So yeah, Jacob's come back and he, and he learns and he hears, yeah, Esau's expecting you. And he sent 400 of his men. There'd be a little bit of fear that's kind of rising up inside of you, wouldn't there? That's where we find him. 20 years previous, the encounter that Jacob had, he cheated, <laughs> he cheated the family blessing out of his brother with the help of his mother. So, mums, don't help your sons cheat. <laughs> previous to this, Jacob actually cheated his brother's birthright from his older brother as well. And he already knew what Esau thought about him. Rewind this story. I'm just going to read just a couple of verses from Genesis um, just to um, 27, just so you know what he was saying. There was a moment where 
Jacob actually stole the blessing from his father. Um, and you'll pick up the story as we read from verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give your blessing to me. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's word, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? So for over 20 years, Jacob the cheater, Jacob the liar, is living off something that he stole. And now his older brother is coming to greet him, but he's coming with 400 of his men. This could very easily be a bloodbath. Jacob was a deceiver. In fact, it's funny because Jacob's dad was also a deceiver. And what's actually really interesting is that Jacob's granddad was also a deceiver. Isn't it funny how generational things tend to come down? You know, I think it's really amazing when you actually see a man and there's a generation thing that goes from one generation to another generation to another generation to another generation. And then someone actually stands up and says, no, that stops with my generation. And they create a brand new path. That's what's happened in my generation anyway. There are some things in the Ryder family that will not continue. I would not want it to continue. It's just some really, really bad stuff. But there's a generational tendency. So Jacob's waiting for Esau to come. And then there's such this weird, abrupt encounter from Genesis 32, verse 24. So Jacob was left alone. Interestingly, he was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. In a moment of isolation, this is really important. In a moment of isolation, a wrestle happens, a long struggle which has as its climax a demand, bless me, bless me. And before any blessing happens or before any blessing is bestowed, there is actually an exchange that takes place. Verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Verse 28, then the man said, you, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. We've already learned that Jacob means liar. It means deceiver. It means underminer. And what's happening here, he says, your name is now Israel. Well, Israel means one who contends with God, one who prevails with God, a champion of God, a prince of God. Interesting that an exchange happens. The one who was a deceiver, now you're a prince of God. You were a liar, now you're a champion of God. 
Something really, really profound is happening in this exchange, in this encounter. There is a transformation that is happening, and there is literally a transformation of the moral virtue of this man. A name of dishonor becomes a name of honor. And how exactly does the nature of a man change? Well, you have to wrestle with God. Have to wrestle with God. I want to talk about a couple of things that are important for us to understand, especially if you're a wife here. Number one, recognize the wrestle comes out of nowhere. Comes out of nowhere. It's not like Jacob was looking for a wrestling match with God. I mean, seriously, who, like, like, you wake up tomorrow and say, God, I'm looking for a fight. I'm looking for a wrestle, right? Out of nowhere. Jacob wasn't looking for a wrestle. The wrestle came to him. And on any given day, let me tell you this up front, on any given day, God will come and he will start this engagement with you. And that can really take us off guard because it could be Sunday right now, we're celebrating Father's Day and it's fantastic, it is incredible. And come Monday morning, you just look at your man and say, wow, something's up here, something's changed now. And if we do not have the discernment to actually see this is beyond just like a conflict like, like with a family or with a friend or in a company, that this is actually going beyond that. If we do not have the discernment to actually perceive and say, no, there is something that is going of an otherly kind of nature, that there is an engagement happening here, we will not respond appropriately. And we may be in that arena when your man is wrestling and you can sit on the sidelines or you can leave the arena, but at that moment, in that time, we have the opportunity to get close to the men in our life and help them win. You'll notice it. Oh, I'm sure. If you're married to someone and you know they've already got a limp, you'll, you'll recognize this straight away. Say, like, what day is preaching right now? I have lived that. I have seen that. This is what happens. God comes to us, men. How beautiful is he? He comes to us. And he comes at any given moment. Second thing which I think is really, really important is that at some point during this encounter, understand it's during the encounter, because sometimes we can start a wrestle and we don't know exactly what's going on around us. Anyone else been there? Like on any given day, it's almost like everything's hit the fan, your world's turned upside down, and you can't actually, like, what is going on right here? But at some point during that engagement, sometime during that season, some point during that encounter, you recognize, you discern, wait a minute, something else is happening here. Well, during, at some point during the encounter, Jacob realized that he wasn't wrestling with a man. And we may start some things in our life and we may think, I'm wrestling with a man right now. And then like at any given moment, it will just suddenly click, wait a minute. Uh-uh, wait a minute. I'm actually not wrestling with man right now. Verse 26, the man said, let go of me for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, get this, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is such a significant reply this is such a moment of discernment and most people just read past this most people just live in this and not understand this but this is what Jacob understands that the lesser is always blessed by the greater so in this moment sometime in the encounter he recognizes I'm not wrestling with a man right now so he says bless me acknowledging recognizing that I need to be blessed by someone greater I am tackling I am engaging I am wrestling with someone greater right now and it may be a wrestle but because he's asked for a blessing it's also a moment of opportunity isn't it 
Sometimes our greatest wrestles in life will be the greatest moments of opportunity because at some moment in that time, we think we are wrestling man and we have the discernment to know, I'm actually wrestling with God right now. And if I actually stop and recognize that, I can say, okay, God, I need you to bless me now. It's a moment of opportunity that most guys do not recognize. Notice what the name of the place means. Verse 30, so Jacob called the place Peniel, which he, which, uh, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. I mean, how good is God, eh? Like, how big is God? Have you ever thought of, like, even in this story, right? Now, we'll get to our own life, but in this story, have you thought about like, how big, how powerful God is, that he would actually make himself small enough so that a wrestle was actually possible? Isn't that, isn't that nuts? That is crazy. I look at my little kids. Like, we were in the car yesterday, and Kayla's kind of like, sort of like complaining about something. I look at Andrew and say, oh, my goodness, babe. Imagine if our lives were that simple, and that was our greatest concern in our life. You know? They were arguing about what they wanted to watch on Netflix. Seriously. Are you kidding me? It's a Saturday. You get to watch TV on Saturday. We're arguing about that. But even as a father, and you'll know this if you're a dad as well, don't we always make ourselves small enough to engage in the concerns of our kids. I've got to be honest, I've got a lot of stuff on my plate. But as a dad, I will actually make myself small enough to sit with my little daughter, to get her on my knee, to speak tenderly to her, to speak tenderly to my son. Fathering between sons and daughters is very different, did you know that? You need to learn how to be a dad to your daughters. That's a big one. How incredible that God would make himself small enough that he's genuinely concerned with our day-to-day goings. It's like, God, I'm so overwhelmed right now. And he comes and he speaks and he comforts. I think that's an incredible part of this story that God who is so powerful, so mighty, he has all power. He knows everything, that he would make himself small enough that a wrestle was actually possible. It was actually possible. I know something about wrestling with God and actually understanding that this incredible God of mine, this Heavenly Father, that he would make himself small enough so that a wrestle was possible with me. It has instilled in me such a faith that I know the character of my Heavenly Father. That I know that even though he's so big, he's so grand, he's so powerful, that he is deeply concerned with the issues of my heart. And I have great faith that I can turn to him any moment, even now. I have great faith that as I go into a place that he goes with me, I have such great faith. And the reason why I have that great faith is because I have wrestled with him. And I've seen how big he is, yet he's made himself so small that a wrestle is even possible. Third one, in order for the best to come out, there needs to be the acknowledgement of the worst. What is your name? Names mean a lot. You know, the, the big reason why we named Kayla, like Kayla and Jackson, the biggest reason is because we didn't want them to get beaten up in the schoolyard. Because these days, you just needed to give them the best chance they got. <laughs> Back in those days, names meant a lot more than what they do now. Even now, names mean a lot, you know. Mention someone's name, what immediately comes to mind. Jacob knew what his name brought to mind. 
Esau said, isn't, it rightly, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. There's a moment of honesty between us and God where I have to acknowledge the worst of me so that God can actually call forth the best of me. It's just absolute brutal honesty before God. And he does it in such a beautiful, tender way. He does it. And you'll actually see there's such a change and transformation as we come before God and we just come with absolute honesty. Say, you know what, God, my attitude is absolute rubbish right now. It is not becoming of a child of God. I'm so sorry. And you can go through wrestle after wrestle after wrestle after wrestle to the point. It's almost like, you know, in Romans it says that it's his kindness that brings us to repentance. You can wrestle, 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 but it comes to that moment where you honestly say, yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. You're right. And the wrestle so often can be prolonged because of stubbornness. Right? At least it is for me. I've learnt to, when God comes knocking on my door, I just want to like say, okay, God, I'm just going to like sort of, yep, I'm with you straight away as fast as possible. Third one. Now, this is really important for us to understand. Jacob knew he had a limp. Jacob knew he had a limp. I'm about to finish the band can come up. Jacob knew he had a limp. Verse 31, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Jacob, who is now Israel, was limping because of where God touched him. His hip. Every man who wrestles with God is fully aware of his shortcomings, his stumblings, his mistakes. Every single man is well aware of their regrets, the worst part of him, even though he's now different. And get this, we don't really need you to remind us, because we know. We know. I know the worst part of me. I know the moments where God's touched me. I know the places where God's had to change me. I don't need Andrew to remind me of that. And praise God, I don't have a wife who does that. I don't need reminding. I know the words I said. I know the time which I lost. I know the actions which were wrong. I know the hurt. I know the immaturity. Every man who has a limp is reminded of the times when he's encountered God. And as a result... He's had to leave behind childish things. And the thing is, that moment is so profound that it is indelibly marked on my conscience. And I seriously, I mean, if you remind me, that's all good. But I don't need you to remind me. Because you see, I've got a limp. I know where I'm tender. I know where I'm vulnerable. You see, when it comes to making a man, it's not the wife who makes a man. It amazes me every so, so 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 many times I'm with this young couple and and you know what like, like a lot of times like the bride's kind of like bride to be or the fiance saying you know what I'm going to change him, you're not going to change him. The wife didn't make the man, 
The child didn't make the man. The system doesn't make the man. God takes it upon himself to come at any given moment out of the blue when he deems that the time is right. He will come and he will transform and he will create a man. He will wrestle. And any wise man knows that when God comes to wrestle, you want to have exactly the same attitude that Jacob had when God came to Jacob. I'm not going to run away from this wrestle. In fact, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to wait. You are not leaving this arena, God, until you bless me. You are not leaving this until Israel comes out of this Jacob. You're not leaving until the best comes out of the worst. You need to transform me. You need to change me. Every single man knows that. And until we wrestle as men, until you wrestle as men, seriously, I've seen it in so many different churches. You can be a 50-year-old. You can be a 60-year-old. You can be a 70-year-old. Still walking in immaturity. But until you engage, until we wrestle... Israel doesn't come forth. The best doesn't come forth. 1 Corinthians verse 13 to 11 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I taught like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things behind me. And you know what? Those words, they're beautiful. They're wonderful. They preach so well. They read so well. You put them in a devotion. It's fantastic. You can actually put them on an Instagram post and you probably get a heap of likes. They are so, so easy. But what we don't understand is that the process of putting away childish things, as poetic as it sounds, the process, the season can be quite turbulent and even for some who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior we may never have ever entered into that season of transformation because when God comes to wrestle with us we kind of shy away but in those moments in any given time in any given day when God comes to wrestle with us we need to be like Jacob say okay I'm going to engage right now and I'm not going to leave this place I'm not going to leave this spot until you bless me until you transform me And this is why it is so true, that quote which I said before, when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world should praise, watch his methods, watch his ways. Because God has a way of creating men. God has a way of bringing out the best out of the worst. God has a way of actually taking that character of yours and bringing out an Israel out of the Jacob. God has a way of being a heavenly father and he will actually bring forth a real man. And if you walked and if you look closely enough, you will see that any man has done any business with the Lord. They have a limp. Any men got limps here? 